this one song. It'll change your life, I swear. Hello. Hello. I'm Kristen. And I'm Bella. And welcome to the FemCell Filmcast. Today, we are going to talk about... Doom Generation! Yes! So, for all of you who don't know, The Doom Generation is a 1995 independent black comedy thriller, co-produced, co-edited, and written and directed by Greg Araki. We've talked about this a little bit on the Mm -hmm. podcast before because we had both seen it in its recent recent theater release. But yeah, today we're going to talk about the role of sex in the movie. We're going to talk through the plot summary, as we always do the home release and its current remastering, general themes about the movie, just a little movie discussion, and then uh, the new queer cinema movement. Mm. So yeah, lots to look forward to. But before then... Uh, yeah, before <laughs> then... <laughs> Chris, Bella. the media. <laughs> stop! Oh, stop I'm it! <laughs> uh, I can go first because I haven't... I have not been okay. consuming a ton of media. I've been watching Succession a little bit. Which is chill. Mm. It's a chill vibe. I still don't know if the show is my vibe or not, but I, I'm sure it'll pick up. Yeah, it's just people, people and their deals, and like, <laughs> I should, I should be more enthusiastic about it. But I'm like, no, you should. <laughs> are you still in the first season? Yeah, I'm in the first season. Yeah, none of that matters. Oh God damn like, it! Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that. Well, like, <laughs> I don't. You'll see. I feel like it, it picks up. I feel like mid season okay. one. So like, don't you. worry, don't worry about like missing <laughs> random finance shit. Okay, thank God. Like, I'm you like, don't need oh, to I don't it. know how this works. Why do they have so many like hidden deals? This doesn't make sense. But yes, watching some of that, been doing that and like puzzling with my mom. We like puzzle, put together little puzzle pieces. And then also I have been, I have not been consuming as much media because I'm just I'm a working girl I'm trying to get employed. Mm. I've been applying everywhere so um, the only place I've heard back is a movie theater yay Word. so hopefully I'll get hired but you know I just dyed my hair like bright red because I forgot about the interview so they might think <laughs> I'm like a total freakazoid <laughs> um, why is there so there should be no stigma for hair dye there literally shouldn't. Like, there's a shortage of redheads. I'm literally, literally. like, saving the ginger race, so they Straight should be up. bringing me in. But, like, also at the same time, it's a movie theater, and I'm a film minor, and mm-hmm. why don't you want someone silly and fun? I don't know. <laughs> it's not like they're I'm listening sure it'll to this. Be. <laughs> it's not, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be more than okay. Yeah. I'm worried about my potential bosses finding my twitter like that's truly (laughs) the most i'm ever concerned speaking of twitter oh my god (laughs) i haven't been consuming as much media because i can only read like how many tweets per day like it's a very sad quota 600 (laughs) oh well like maybe we could because i feel like media or just like content in general i feel like i like talking about that like it doesn't have to be doesn't have to be highbrow no, it does not. And Twitter is not usually very highbrow, but I love yeah, Twitter. I have a Twitter. I'm not going to say my name on the pod because <laughs> uh, it gets a little silly on there. But um, <laughs> it's um, it's a bummer being like kicked off the app after like 30 minutes. Experience that, that yet? Tweets. 
I did yesterday. It was like, you've reached your quota. And I was like, damn, I feel like how a does- kid who's got like parental settings on my social media. Yeah. How um, does that show up? It'll just like show up at the top and it'll be like, rate exceeded. And you can't refresh anymore. Oh my gosh. But at the same time, maybe I'm just too like chronically online and like there's a reason only I have been experiencing the, the, the consequences of this action. No, wow. you're, I'm, everyone and their mothers has been talking about it. I haven't experienced it yet, which I'm surprised I hadn't because I was on my Twitter last night. I was on that <laughs> yeah, shit. you were. too soon too soon (laughs) no because i've been wanting to i'm like how can we incorporate like our hookups of the week into our sex we have to delineate it by like whatever media so if you've been conceiving media with them unfortunately the type of media we're conceiving (laughs) top 10 fucking no We can cut this out and just say No, 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 no. We should keep it we should keep it in because I am tired of protecting men from their own cringiness. Yeah. Last night Well, okay, so I had to I was forced to watch not forced, but essentially. (laughs) uh, It was a top fifteen mega projects to be finished in twenty thirty. So YouTube video. Yeah, it was not fun. It like wasn't a good video. And it was boring because it wasn't like actual projects that were being done. It was just models of things, like animated (laughs) models. I'm like, well I can do that and just say like if I I can be like, I just need five billion dollars to build this like I don't know. I thought it would be interesting stuff too but it just sounds like it was like canals and like trade routes and I was hoping it would be like biggest water slide ever (laughs) or like I don't know this roller coaster will kill you (laughs) like you know that one Wikipedia article with the the death by roller coaster yes suicide roller coaster I thought it would be that anyways I guess they're not innovating as much as I hoped so no it's a bummer it's a shame and the people fell off for (laughs) I guess um if you could have any mega project completed by 2030 what would you want it to be what mega project (laughs) would I want it to be um oh my god this is actually like I don't even know I think they say this would actually be sooner but i have i feel like they won't but i'd love to have the like fucking metro system built Whoa, in la yeah. i think that's, a, saying- that's a 2060 product project actually <laughs> please damn let me just yeah. manifest it though metro Literally. station in westwood 2030 i guess just everywhere beautiful yeah that would be so awesome lit movie and Not like really. on top of that, man, like the buses, the buses sometimes don't even come. And I'm like, it's okay if the ride is going to take like two and a half hours because of the bus. But if the bus doesn't even come, like we've missed a <laughs> crucial part of this journey. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> I've like just avoided the buses here at all cost. But I'm like, yeah. I still don't want to have to fucking drive everywhere. It's like eats away at my soul. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, true. We're getting down to the real questions here. Yeah. Um, more importantly, more importantly than that, media I've been consuming. So yeah, I was supposed to watch that, and then I was like, okay, well, let me just like make this a better experience for myself. So then I just put contrapoints in a video 
on called the the witch trials of jk rowling which is like so oh, boots. literally boo wait did you say boo or boots oh i said i said boots as in like that's a good video i saw part no of word. it it is yeah. good i mean but boo to jk rowling yeah boo jk rowling jkr is what contrapoints called it um but yeah that was really good she's always great but and then i also watched high school musical for the first time the other night <gasps> Yeah. Oh my god, without me, Bella. I know, I don't. <laughs> I like to don't. <laughs> it needed like, to happen. It needed to happen. It did. And also, like, I don't, I remember being younger and, like, wasn't, I don't know, like, everyone was talking about High School Musical and I was like, I don't have fucking TV, so I, like, haven't been able to watch this TV movie. And I was like, it's fine, like, it's all gonna blow over. But this is literally the <laughs> one thing that it, I'm always, like, somehow having to admit that I've never watched High School Musical before. It's, like, it literally not. Over. It never blew over. But now I see why, because I watched the first one and it actually wasn't really oh, cute. Oh, It I'm was glad. super campy. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. So I watched that, and then I watched Carrie, which was very good if we ever do... um like a horror film uh, series that would be a really fun one to do or like a female rage one that was really good and then then I watched 2001 space odyssey have you watched that yet (laughs) I was supposed to watch it for my sci-fi class but (laughs) I skipped it that day which is like of all the movies I skipped like I watched iRobot before 2001 (laughs) space odyssey so I'm kind of a terrible film minor is what Mm. I'm saying but that's that's so cool you've been watching so many movies it's like, summer of media i'm also so unemployed which if you're <laughs> listening donate money to us please so real yes so please. we could be doing more things i guess more so we could things. see movies in theaters so we could see movies <laughs> in theaters so I yeah. can maintain my AMC Stubless membership. <laughs> that is the most important thing, actually. It is. It really is. Okay. Man, maybe well, we should have an episode where we just talk about like silly media. <laughs> yes, I think we should. Uh, That'd be such we an obviously easy have thing. Shit to say. We yeah. obviously have shit to say. Dang. But that's not today. We've no. got things to talk about. Yes. A thing. A movie. The movie being doom generation doom generation yeah i guess we could hop on into the summary portion of the episode i'll try my best it's been a little bit guys but i think (laughs) i hope you'll like it okay so we begin at a rave as all best Mm. stories begin so there are these main characters jordan and amy jordan's kind of a himbo type of guy he's played by james duvall he's Wasian. <laughs> That's not really relevant detail, but I'm I'm putting it in there. Um, <laughs> it's relevant. So to Jordan, us. And Amy, <laughs> no, literally. And then Amy's got this cool bob and like bright red lipstick. She's pretty goth. She's cool. And they go outside. Amy's having a terrible time at the rave. She's so over mm. it. And so they go to their car and they start trying to have sex in their car. But Jordan is not super into it. He's worried about getting AIDS because it's the 90s and he can't get hard. There's a funny line where Amy, where he's, okay, Jordan says, I'm worried about catching AIDS. And Amy says, but we're both virgins, which I think is <laughs> pretty fun. Yeah, but Jordan's pretty romantic. He He's really he's into Amy. He's a sweetie. He's, he's a, a sweetheart. Yeah, he's They're got just like teenage lovers. Look. <laughs> exactly. And then I think at some point, I don't know if it's in this scene, but he's like, 
asking if Amy loves him and she's like, mm. yeah, I love you. And he's like, I love you can mean a lot of things. Like you'll do, <laughs> do till someone better comes along or I can't describe how I feel, but I know that I'm supposed to say this or shut up. I'm watching TV, which is so real. I love him. So um, cute. <laughs> so they're leaving the movie theater. They're driving down the road and they pick up this hitchhiker who's extremely hot and his name is Xavier Red, but he just goes by X because Jordan gives him that nickname. So they're driving back. They start at this quickie mart um, to get some food. They've got the munchies. Um, For real. And, and they walk inside, and it's pretty funny because, you know, Jordan and Amy, Amy's kind of, they're both deadbeats, but Amy's kind of incredibly foul-mouthed and rude. Um, <laughs> so she's just, like, kind of picking stuff up and being kind of, I don't know, just... Just generally awful. But she's really hot, so it's okay. No, literally. She's played by, um, I don't know her name in the first scream, but she's in the first scream and she's the girl that dies by the fucking... uh, The garage door? The garage door, yeah. yeah. And she's like a pretty... She's like the sexually promiscuous girl in scream that's going to be the first one to die kind of thing. Whoa. Yeah. There's a lot of sexual promiscuity in this movie. Yeah. So and a lot of death. Lot. So <laughs> we'll get to um, that. I guess maybe she's got a typecast, but yeah. So they're in the the Quickie Mart and there's this big sign that says shoplifters will be executed. And the man at the counter, like, they're taking forever to pay. It doesn't seem like they have money. And the the store owner pulls out a gun. And is threatening to shoot them uh, when X comes in and starts wrestling the guy from behind, trying to get the gun away from him. He's trying to save their lives. But unfortunately, the gun goes off right in front of the man's kids and wife. And and it, he kills the store owner. And so the trio are now on the run. So this kind of kickstarts the story. It's the inciting incident, as they would say in screenwriting class, because now... It's a road movie, guys. So now they're on the run. Things are getting saucy. They leave. They obviously need to go get some fast food because they're hungry and they just stole a bunch of cash from the register at the convenience store. And as they're going through the convenience store, they look at the window drive through and the man who's giving them their food seems to recognize Amy and calls her Sunshine. She's not into it. She feels they've never met in her life. But he claims that that they've dated before. I think she has a pretty funny line. Oh, yeah. She she says, what is this? Night of the living brain dead? Wake up and smell the cappuccino, geek. I don't know (laughs) you. I've never fucking seen you before. I don't know who the fuck this sunshine is. So she's really pissed off. And uh, the man gets a little bit aggressive. He, like... I think he's up a knife or a gun and tries to pursue them. They they speed away with the food, and they just seem to generally keep attracting these like very violent situations. So now they finally get some peace and quiet, and they're going back to the hotel or the motel to just chillax and eat their fast food. So Jordan and Amy they go to the the bathroom in their motel and they have sex. This is a especially saucy scene because X goes and watches from the door, like a little crack in the door, and afterwards he um he licks his own cum after it's he awesome. masturbates. Yeah, it's pretty it's like my, it's like my favorite part of the scene. 
<laughs> it's a beautiful act of voyeurism. Yeah. Uh, especially because it turns out they all have feelings for each other, but we'll get to that later. Mm-hmm. So X, after having a really good time, goes to the main room with the bedroom. He turns on the local TV and he sees that a news program that says the store owner's wife killed her children after they killed her husband. And then she committed suicide. So X thinks that the police aren't going to pursue them anymore because it looks just like a familial event. So later that evening, Amy and X are not getting along. They've hated each other all this time, but suddenly they cannot resist each other and they mm. have sex. And it's a pretty great scene. Do they go to the, the car to have sex in this scene? Yeah, they do. He yeah, like starts, so they- <laughs> he, he like climbs, he's such a freak. He's such a he's pervert. A he like climbs, he climbs up into the bed that they're both, both asleep. He had been sleeping in the car. And I think he came into the room and then like went onto the bed and started to like touch himself. And I was like, what? <laughs> Do not try this at home, guys. Do not, Do not try, try this, this at, at home. home. This will, this will not give, get this, you will not pull hose this way. That's not how you do it. <laughs> But, but I mean, it pulled Amy. <laughs> it did. It did in this dream scenario. But, yeah. yeah. And then so. they went to the car and fucked. Yeah. And it's yeah. steamy and they seem to get along great. Even mm. though it's like enemies to lovers, the tension is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. Despite Amy's insistence, she's always saying these horrible things to him. At one point she says, you're not even a human, are you? like a life support system for a cock, which is crazy. I would love to say that to someone. Um, Yeah, it's great. And so eventually Jordan finds out that they banged. Things are a little bit tense, but there's also a lot of tension between these two men. They seem Mm. to give each other like back rubs. They're making intense eye contact. They ask each other like very sexually loaded questions, but the journey continues, and as they go around Los Angeles, they keep kind of getting into these same scenarios. So uh, I forgot to mention later that night, the man comes back from the the fast food place, the man who thought he had a relationship with Amy, and he attacks them. They end up killing him, and they decide that they have to keep going. So... The next time they get into another violent situation, they're at a different store. It's a bar. And Amy runs into this other woman who still thinks that she has um, had an affair with her. So they keep mistaking Amy as their past lover. The woman is killed. It's an especially violent scene. And they have to go on the run again. So finally, we're reaching the end of the, the movie. Jordan, Amy, and X, they're mm. trying to like get some clothes. And they run into this group who is eyeing Amy once again. And they think they have a relationship with her. But these dudes are not like the rest. They're a whole gang. And they're a bunch of neo-Nazis. So Amy spurns their affections once again. She's got two boyfriends. She can't handle another another neo-Nazi. She is Jordan and X, basically. So she doesn't need them. Mm-hmm. And she's never met them. So she spurns the neo-Nazis. They get very angry. And Jordan, Amy, and X go away to spend their night in the warehouse. So now they're all together. They decide to have a threesome, what we've all been waiting for. 
Okay, so before we proceed, also, uh, we wanted to give a quick trigger warning for extreme violence and sexual assault, hate crimes and the like, because the last, the, the final scene of, of the Doom Generation is pretty intense. So if you don't want to hear about that, we'll be talking about it for the next few minutes, four or five minutes. Uh, and if you want to tune out, that is totally okay. So here we are at the end of the movie. Amy goes outside of the warehouse to pee. Jordan X are cuddling on the bed. And suddenly... The neo-Nazis from earlier in the store come inside and begin to beat up the men. So first, one of them severely beats up X, and they hold Jordan down. The neo-Nazi who mistook Amy for his ex-girlfriend ties up and rapes Amy on top of an American flag. Then the group cuts off Jordan's penis with pruning shears and forces the penis into his mouth. And then Amy breaks free. This is also a very experimental sequence. It's not everything yeah. is shown, but it's still pretty. It's it's still graphic and still very uncomfortable. It's um, a really it's an interesting choice that he did it because it was so like intense watching it in the theater because he was just kind of flashing. It was like as if these like flashing lights onto the scene, and then it was just dark, so you could only really see these like one second. I don't know. I guess one second movements yeah. of what was happening, but it was very almost like dissociative. Yeah, I would describe it as that too. As we're saying it right now, it sounds like a lot and it is a lot, but you don't see like every single part of it. A lot of it is also kind of implied, which I think is gracious. And also it's not necessary to include like the complete gratuitous violence of, of this yeah. act on screen. Um, yeah, Tarantino. <laughs> Tarantino. <clears throat> Literally. And the feet. <clears throat> what? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Amy breaks free and she takes the shears and kills the neo-Nazis. And she escapes with X, leaving Jordan behind. He's very badly wounded. He's bleeding out, likely already pretty close to death. And so the film ends. Amy and X are driving the car away from the scene. X tries talking to Amy and offers her a Dorito, but she doesn't respond. And they're kind of just aimlessly moving down the road. And that's where the credits roll. Yeah. Mm. That's the Doom Generation. Yeah. I think, as you can tell, it's not like the most um, classical plot structure. There's <laughs> a lot of like nonsensical elements. There's a lot of dream logic, I think, attached to the, the movie mm-hmm. where you just don't have, like question it and you just move with the movie which i like a lot Mm. uh just because there's these moments where they're like oh you're my ex-girlfriend and amy's like no and then they have to fight and i think that's (laughs) that's usually how dreams go uh so no literally scott pilgrim but 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 awesome um but awesome (laughs) yeah queer yeah and it's also just very like I mean, as we were saying, it's very surreal. There's kind of very, like, intensely real things about it, but also kind of, like, where is this occurring? Um, <laughs> or, like, what, like, what universe is this occurring? Like, when they kill the convenience store owner, um, his head, like, pops off, basically, and then it lands on some sort <laughs> of surface, and he's, like, still talking. I think he, like, starts throwing <laughs> up or something, and I was like, <laughs> and then, and then, um, and then when the the guy who was in the drive through window when he he came when he came to attack them at the motel, they were like able to like 
I think like just shoot his arm off and then the arm was like moving as they drove away so I was like what like <laughs> like there's this weird like supernatural undertones that really don't show up that intensely um <laughs> but that are there <laughs> yeah and I think it's awesome apparently Rotten Tomatoes yeah. does not which is Ooh. like whatever man like just because it's not I don't know, super realistic. Like, doesn't mean it's a bad movie. I'm trying to, like, look up the rating right now. Um, I think it's, like, 54% or something. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right. 54% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, shit! Almost fresh, but not not quite, not quite. Yeah, I would give it a fresh. fresh. I'd it's give fresh it a fresh. Fuck. And it was, it was five stars for me on Letterboxd. Um, mm-hmm. Just because, like, the movie captures so many emotions and that's super vague but we're gonna get more into that mm-hmm. and how it achieves that and the greater themes that are going on do you have any more thoughts also this was like the horniest viewing experience ever yeah. for me in a movie theater <laughs> um not to get too graphic but yeah i i mean i love it i love the use of sex and violence in it and the ending really fucking tripped me out it also is just like interesting because he made this came out in like 90 whatever 93 94 and it's like things that are still pretty like oppressive towards queer people is still those still exist now and honestly like maybe even in a lot more intense ways so i feel like there's a much needed movie to be made and I'm glad he's remastering it because I feel like maybe it'll find a new relevance to us now. <laughs> and it's honestly a very stunning film. Like, I, I remember the whole time that I was watching it just being like, how did he do this? Because it's like, <laughs> it is like a low budget production, but it just felt like there was so much thought put into anything, to into everything that I was just like very captivated by it. Yeah. And also, if you have extra time or you're looking for new music, the soundtrack for this is pretty darn awesome. <laughs> it's got Nine Inch Nails and Slow Dive, Love and Rockets, mm. uh, Aphex Twin, The Jesus and the Mary Chain, Lush. Yeah, just a lot of great stuff. Um, uh, Gregor Rocky is, is one of his main trademarks is that he's really into shoegaze music and the punk scene. And you can obviously you can obviously see that influence in the movie, but the soundtrack is also just stellar. What's shoegaze again? I don't shoegaze know. Shoegaze is like <laughs> really sl- Okay, I'm probably not going to do a good job explaining it either. For me, what I've seen is like kind of really slower indie music. Um, mm. It's very ethereal. What Wikipedia says uh, is a subgenre of indie and alternative rock. All right. Uh, with obscured vocals, guitar distortion, effects, feedback, overwhelming volume. Uh, yeah. So. No, I think it would be good to talk a little bit about the reception of the film and its home video release experience because there's been a lot of new developments about that. And yeah, it's pretty it's a pretty cool history. So after it was released, it was initially acquired by the Samuel Goldwyn company in its development. But after Mr. Goldwyn himself saw the movie, he was like, absolutely not. We cannot show this. Do the do the all the explicit content. So then it was picked up by Trimark Pictures instead. And I think things might have been okay, except for the fact that uh, the movie then had to go through blockbuster edits in order to, to be distributed over home video. The distributors decided to cut the movie down a lot, cut out a lot of the especially explicit scenes and sex scenes. And so therefore, the, the original version that went around the festival circuit and Sundance 
basically was like completely different from the new version, which admittedly uh, Gregoraki absolutely hates. He did a lot of arguing with the different companies about what what could and could not be included. But ultimately, since he was continuing to make his own content in this time, he gave up the battle. And so what he says about it is uh, that it's incredibly inferior. There was an R-rated cut of Doom Generation that was made without my approval, and it's terrible. It's literally been butchered beyond recognition, and I'd prefer that people don't watch it at all than watch that copy of it. Yeah, so this kind of move, new new cut of the movie did not make a lot of sense, actually cut out a lot of important, important plot points. And in the meantime, beyond just blockbuster and the like, it kind of made its way online into different streaming services and, you know, being pirated. So a lot of people who saw Doom Generation for the first time at home probably did not see a very good version of it. But there's a pretty happy ending to the story, actually, where Gregor Rocky gets to win. Uh, <laughs> yay! yay! I love so, to see him winning. No, literally, he's such a nice guy. He's such a fun guy. Anyways, recently, in 2023... Gregoraki decided to make a restored version of the original festival cut, and it was shown at the 2023 Sundance Film Festival in 4K uh, with surround sound, and mm. he had he supervised the entire restoration. And since then, it's been on this new theater uh, tour release, which started in April 6, 2023, and that's kind of how Bella and I found out yeah. and saw the movie, because we got to... We got to see Gregoraki introduce the movie and have a Q&A beforehand. Yeah, it was cool to see the man, the myth, the legend in person. Yeah. I watched it at UCLA, so it was like the Q&A was being run by students and all the people that were students. But literally, <laughs> the questions were so stupid. They were just like, Hap, like, can you give my friend a job? Like, And I was like, oh, no! my goodness. I want to know how he... Like, like literally, how did he make this film? And like, no one really like asked those questions. It was all like, where do you think the future of the film industry is going? Bruh, I just want to live inside his mind. Like, I want to know his top five movies. I want him to make me a playlist. I want him to be my boyfriend. What? Where did that go? Wait, where did that thought go? Um. Anyways. <laughs> Who even said that? <laughs> Who said that? But no, he's just—he's a tastemaker. No, he's so it would have been cool to to learn more. But yeah. I went to a different Q and A, and it was also—it wasn't like—it wasn't bad. It was just a lot more um, talking about how he disliked the the old version of the film, and then there was a pretty fun trivia section for all the intense fans in the audience. Um, oh, cute! Yeah, those at the new art. Yeah, just one bus right away, but it was a ton of ton of like adults who had seen it when they were younger and had as a formative okay. experience. Okay, <laughs> old gay people. Yes, my brethren. My brethren, <laughs> my ancestors, my forefathers. Literally. And on top of that, it's actually pretty good because the original theatrical release, which wasn't as edited, but it was still like the theatrical release back then was just so small and not a lot of people saw it. It was pretty short. So now the re-release is playing in even more cities than the original release in 1995, just because it's developed a cult following, which is great. Yeah. And there's another quote he says where it, his, he says, it's shocking to me that the movie has survived all this time as a cult film with a devoted audience. The VHS and DVD version that exists was never properly letterboxed. There's a lot of stuff I didn't like in terms of the color and sound. And the original master is not up to technical standards for streaming or Blu-ray. So it's wild that all this time, such like an influential and like 
I don't know, beloved movie just totally got lost and also was just like a lot of people who learned to love the movie weren't even seeing like it in its full glory. And I think that speaks a lot to just Gregoraki's skill as a filmmaker and just totally unique mm. voice because people are just constantly seeking it out and trying to come back to a version. Um, even if it's not at its best, it's still completely unique and, and people are clamoring for it. I think it'd also be cool to talk a little bit about the just the entire production process of this movie and Gregor Rocky's past movies because it's very DIY and very like non-Hollywood and super cool. So this movie was the first one that uh, Gregor Rocky had major funding on. And even so, like the budget was $800,000 and they asked him to create a heterosexual like straight <laughs> movie. So that'd be more appealing for audiences and would be worth the, the money. And so he responded with this by uh, subtitling The Doom Generation with a heterosexual movie by Gregor Rocky, which is so funny. <laughs> and it's also the gayest straight movie ever, uh, since the, so the two male love interests are literally in love with each other. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, I think a lot more love triangle movies should have that dynamic going on. Like, anyone could fall in love with anyone. It's chaos. Yeah. <laughs> it's Imagine chaos. what to all the boys I loved before a sequel would be like. It would be oh fucking great. Oh, my God. It'd be lit. <laughs> Everyone like, would be getting off. <laughs> yeah, or think about Glee with, like, Rachel Berry <laughs> and Jesse and, like, Finn. That would be nuts. That would be fucking <laughs> awesome. That'd um, be awesome. <laughs> So I, I yeah I love I love a sexually fluid love triangle. Yeah, I was just gonna say to the when he was saying how he had done that, he he was like, I made this heterosexual movie, but in a very punk rock bratty way, made it so gay. Really <laughs> <laughs> love him. Literally, king. Yeah, there's so many yearning gazes between the two men, and they're also so it's gorgeous. so bratty. Yeah, so he really went off with that, but the way he used this smaller budget um he got some bigger stars but he also used a lot of like diy filming techniques like for example when trying to give the place more apocalyptic feel they totally just avoided well-known landmarks in los angeles and tried to shoot in underdeveloped areas of urban sprawl so he had a professional crew this time but he was still using a lot of different techniques to try and minimize the amount of money he would spend with actually you know clearing the streets and having a big you know Marvel movie-esque uh, calculated setting. But uh, before then, before his like major film debut, which was The Doom Generation, there was a lot of other movies he made which had tiny budgets and were even like more underfunded. So his first movie was this was in 1987 called Three Bewildered People in the Night. He had a budget of only $5,000 and used a stationary camera and it, it still kind of made it to, to film festivals. And it's, it's I haven't seen it, but I've, I've heard good things. But still, $5,000 is, is pretty amazing for a debut film. Then he continued that two years later with The Long Weekend of Despair with another $5,000 budget. And then his third film, The Living End, was like $20,000 of a budget, but it's still pretty small. And that one was incredibly influential and like totally made a large mark on, on the film industry at the time in terms of queer cinema. And we'll talk about new queer cinema later, but this was definitely a staple of that. And he made it with $20,000 and <laughs> pretty spontaneously and usually without having filming permits for like different locations. So he would just <laughs> film at night, which is just such a wonderful tactic um, 
to Guerrilla producing tactics. film. Yeah, literally. He's in the and trenches. He's in the trenches. And I feel like it really did work for Doom Generation because it was kind of part of that apocalypse feel that like often it was very dark. And <laughs> yeah, totally. And I don't know if you've seen um, Totally Fucked Up, but that one's also like made definitely on, a, on somewhat of a budget, but mm. it really works. It's almost like a video diary. There's a lot of like interspersed like found footage and interview Mm. format and it's great it's like a faux documentary slash like coming of age film and i think we can learn a lot i love this guy so yeah yeah. i need to watch that i need to this is the only movie i've watched of his but i think he is so interesting so i need to watch the other ones and that we we might have mentioned this earlier already but this being the second and the teenage apocalypse like trilogy I don't think we mentioned it, but that is pretty important. The mm. The first one was uh, Totally Fucked Up. The second one is The Doom Generation, and he finishes it up with Nowhere. And kind of the overarching thing about this movie, they, about those movies, they all have James Duvall in it. Besides <laughs> that, it's kind of just set in this alternate reality of Los Angeles where it's this apocalyptic space. There's this sense of general despair and doom and the end of the world nearing and it gets increasingly surreal and like supernatural as it goes on but totally fucked up is pretty grounded and it kind of just continues from there trying to capture youth culture and career characters so now that we've talked about kind of the general apocalyptic feel that's going on in the background of Rocky's film used through the different setting shooting at night and a lot of different other filming techniques um, I think that would be a good segue into talking about the general theme of apocalypse itself that exists in this trilogy and like what is the teenage apocalypse. And for Gregoraki, I think that a lot of it is having to do with, you know, living in a post-Reagan society and living through the HIV uh, epidemic. Uh, I read a pretty interesting interview where he talks about what it was like to grow up around this time and just like the feeling of general despair around like living towards the end of the world as a queer person. He says, as a young person in your 20s or 30s, you were just surrounded by constant death. Your time was very limited by the simple fact that you were gay. And so this kind of reflects itself a little bit in the first movie of the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy, uh, which is totally fucked up. One of the characters says, it's like a government-sponsored genocide, biological warfare. I mean, think about it. A deadly virus that spread only through premarital sex and needle drugs? It's like a born-again Nazi Republican wet dream come true. (laughs) Yeah. So just like this... (laughs) No, literally. He's very forward about what he's trying to say and just like this intense nihilism that exists in teenagers, especially queer teenagers, teenagers during this time due to this complete distrust of the U.S. government and just frustration with the total disregard uh, that the country has for for a whole population and their their ability to just cast people aside. I was just gonna say, it's just like it also was totally scapegoated and a population that wasn't even like it wasn't like just queer people who were I mean it was like a big population of them but to like stigmatize it to be only because of yeah. that. Um, no definitely there was like a lot of like uh, during like the eighties, there was a lot of talk about like, the gay disease, and if um mm-hmm. if only like gay people did not have their sexual liberation movement, and we're not you know quote unquote like hairless, then this wouldn't have happened. But 
that's just simply not true. And and they, they did end up feeling the brunt of this with very little government intervention due to the fact that that people thought that gay people were expendable and should be expendable. And in that way, it was kind of almost a, a queer genocide. And I think I think Regaraki captures that super well through his movies. In nowhere specifically, there's an ending, or there's this plot point where an alien keeps zapping the teenagers out of existence uh, mm. and no one seems to notice. And that's definitely the most outright <laughs> explanation of like what's going on here. But But yeah, I think the Teenage Apocalypse trilogy seeks to address the the fear around disappearing and having no one notice and also the worry that you don't get to have a future simply because of your identity i feel like doom generation especially kind of feels like this waking nightmare at times (laughs) um and it's like when is this when am i ever going to wake up like when is amy ever going to not meet a man who thinks they (laughs) fucked her before like oh my god this um, is literally what like hinge is like (laughs) <laughs> literally what, what dating in the UCLA in DC is like literally it's too fucking small it's too fucking small now I'm like I don't even want your Instagram I do not want to know what mutuals we have like no, no literally. thank you if I see you have mutuals on Hinge you're a slut you're just you're a slut, a slut. <laughs> but yeah so he he very ingeniously kind of plays with these these concepts and I feel like just able to kind of than like play into the apocalyptic feeling. But um, there's also just a lot about like gender and sexuality, like point blank. I feel like during this time and still like now, like we're constantly trying to turn away from this like essentialist view of gender and sexuality and how that, what that kind of end up ends up becoming in doom generation is kind of just like this, you know, very fluid, but also like, chaotic and subversive sort force and like because it is like the it's like when everybody wants to fuck each other it's like shit that's a lot of there's a lot of tension and a lot of of things going on there so this is like a really big especially just kind of playing with these concepts of gender and sexuality and in the sense that they're now more fluid and can be changed a lot of films during this time are doing that as well and this has kind of been come to be understood as like the new queer cinema movement the concept itself was brought by uh, this woman who wrote an article called New Queer Cinema, uh, Ruby Rich, in Sight and Sound, which I think is just like a film publication or pop culture publication in the 90s. And she's basically just talking about like the previous years, so like 1990 to 1991, like that year of like film festivals and like that circuit. And so she talks about the Toronto Festival, the San Francisco Gay and Lesbian Film film festival and Sundance and there kind of just seems to be this pattern of a lot of queer movies getting like kind of critically acclaimed and as much as they're it as much as they're all like kind of can be come together as queer movies or come under this category of queer movies they're all still very different and dealing with the ideas and images of queerness in a different way the way that like Ruby Rich kind of wants to to you know create a fuller picture of it the these films are generally like re-examining and reviewing history of the images of gays. So there's this one film, I think it was called like Edward II or something, where just like kind of taking like period pieces and reimagining like queerness through that when that like definitely was a thing, you know, back then. But it yeah. seems with the way that pop culture and media is, it doesn't seem like 
any per- gay person existed before <laughs> whatever they invented but... gay people in the in the 70s actually yeah was no a... literally <laughs> they invented gay people they uh they started pumping them out in a lab and yeah ever since they've been on the loose they've been on the loose <laughs> and then trans people up. 10 years later <laughs> Just, <laughs> seriously how republicans seem to no, <laughs> conceptualize like, gayness dude, <laughs> do you think this just popped up out of nowhere like they're so reactionary and then they like project that onto like other people like <laughs> oh you're just like gay because you hate your dad like no <laughs> that might be yeah. why you think you're gay but that's not <laughs> that's not me though um, yeah. Oh, also, there's this reminds me there's this one like conservative guy I went to school with and I was like just talking about my sexuality and stuff like that and he mm-hmm. was like oh yeah like what do you think made you gay and I was like wow that's that's certainly a question yeah I don't even know how to answer that like should I say like David Bowie and Labyrinth that seems a bit like what if he believes me (laughs) that would be awkward he's gonna go around (laughs) saying David Bowie's turning people gay like I gotta be responsible about this literally there's a lot resting as a as a queer person when you come out there's a lot resting in your hands you have a lot of responsibility Um, (laughs) but yeah so there you know there's this now this proliferation of queer movies that are kind of breaking out of the bounds of gender and across genres so it's not just kind of in you know a romantic sense or a dramatic sense but uh, she also talks about, she says this thing, I think it was homo pomo, which I was like, <laughs> I don't know if you're allowed to say that, <laughs> um, but it's literally like kind of just to say like homosexual postmodernism, which like <laughs> also really weird potential, like pretentious <laughs> thing to say. I think postmodernism, I mean, postmodernism is just kind of this idea that like we're in a point in society where like a lot of reality is a, a subjective reality and we kind of create a lot of like a lot of society and culture is like created by us and it's not just something that you know happens because people were born and then like that's what happens I was like no Mm -hmm. we decided to create gender we decided to create a binary and so this is like kind of something that you know queer cinema is like pushing against at this time often in very like ironic and irreverent ways which I feel like doom generation very much encompasses this very well and a lot of Greg like a lot of Greg Araki's films have been, like, very acclaimed to also, like, kind of be a big part of new queer cinema. So a lot of these movies are ironic and irreverent, and they're also very minimalist. They can be, like, alternately minimalist, but also excessive. But above all, they're full of pleasure, <laughs> um, which is just, like, mm-mm-mm. Yeah, also, I think... A reason why people are saying like new queer cinema instead of just like queer cinema is I think a lot of queer movies during this time, right around the 80s, were really cookie cutter movies about straight Mm. white men. I mean, not straight white men, white men, white cis Mm. men who are not straight, who are getting married, Um, Mm. which is kind of it was the most um, it was the most acceptable and palatable, you know, thing. um, Yeah to show on screen like uh, gay people replicating straight gender norms and getting married and and as if that was the end of of the queer movement which i think a lot of people did think like okay now we can get married like straight people do that that should be the end of it and um and new queer cinema 
does a lot more to subvert people's expectations about gay people at the time beyond just showing two gay men at the yeah. altar. I think they they show really complicated characters and like characters who break the law and amoral characters. You know, gay people can be evil too and not in the <laughs> villain sense, but in a in a very nuanced gay people are real people way. So yeah, I think New Queer Cinema was also very much about just creating nuance and having queer creators create yeah. queer movies rather than these networks pumping out stuff for for the new um, gay economic market. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. They're, they're not trying to ascribe any sort of value or morality code to any of their films. It's just like, it is what it is. Like, which I think... <laughs> I think it's great. Yeah. Um, I think these movies were really experimental and just the fact that they weren't really after money, they were just seeking to, I don't know, capture a marginalized experience rather than be a cash cow. I think that was pretty refreshing and that's why people call it new queer cinema. But also at the same time, it's important to recognize that it's not exactly people like in the academic world have not exactly defined this as like a flawed movement people have just said it's like it was a queer moment or it was just queer people making movies uh just because it's not really clear where the new queer cinema ends and what exactly is tying all these movies together beyond you know subversive queer characters but that's not people are unsure if it's a genre in itself so it feels good to to at least clarify that it's it's still pretty murky and it's not like as defined a genre as like this is a strictly like sci-fi movie or this is a a French new wave movie although I think it would be really fun to call this the queer new wave because it's just as experimental and it's realistic and trying to actually do new shit so yeah yeah and I feel like it also kind of helps to name you know what's going on I don't know to conceptualize what's going on in a period of time um uh the the author kind of also makes this I feel like point that I really liked um, where I don't know who it was someone, someone a part of Sundance who was, who was a part of a big part of the event. And when they were asked like, Oh, why do you think, you know, all of these queer movies are getting recognition right now? And he was like, well, I think like queer folks feel like comfortable in film and, um, or no, I think like the festival is just becoming more welcoming to, to queer folks. Um, but she's like, well, maybe, like, actually, these were just simply the best films being made at that time, and they just all yeah. happen to be queer. <laughs> um, which makes sense, because it is coming, it's it's now the 90s is coming out right after, you know, it's all the 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 tragedy and trauma of AIDS. Um, and as we were saying before, so it's like, now there is this population of creatives who are like, this is not, we're not going to move on from this and <laughs> pretend that like everything's okay now. Um, but yes. So Doom Generation, not only is it, is it very subversive in the ways that we view gender and sexuality. I mean, it's subversive, but it's also very sexy. It, I love the way he, I love it. Um, I think my favorite like part of that in the movie is like the erotic tension between um was his name Jordan and X um because Jordan is like kind of this one of the articles I read like describe him as a meek cuckold which I was like 
that's wow. sad. <laughs> but like, I guess if I was going to put like a, some sort of word to it, like, sure. Like he's like kind of not, he knows that like X and Amy have started having a sexual relationship and he like doesn't really care, but I don't think it's in like a bad way. It kind of just, it's like, <laughs> he doesn't feel like he owns Amy and like what she does by any means. And it doesn't seem like it retracts his feelings for her and her feelings for him. But it does create a lot of tension between him and X. Cause now it's <laughs> like, what is this? Who is this third here that is in a relationship now? <laughs> um, and uh, there's just so many scenes where they're like, where X, it's usually X who's way more forward about it. And even towards the end of the film, like kind of right before it's violent climax, when we get, you know, their threesome, um, it's like literally gets to a point where they're right about to fuck. And then like, that's when they get, um, which I was like, that's fucking rude. Okay. Like, <laughs> thank you, Gregor Rocky. But anyways, I'm getting, I'm getting off, <laughs> off point. But um, just as, as Gregor Rocky was talking about this, cause there was also kind of, I feel like maybe this pushback during this time of like queer people feeling like, or certain queer viewers feeling like they didn't want queer movies to be about sex. Like they're like, Oh, queerness is so much more than that. And, like, I feel like he just has a good response to it. But Gregoraki feels that, like, sex and sexuality are, like, kind of the primary force that moves you outside of your comfort zone and leads you to other parts of yourself. So it's, like, not something I feel like, I don't know, at least in my experience in, like, trying to navigate queerness, it's, like, you do have to connect with a very physical part of yourself. And, like, that isn't something that I feel like should be denied when we're we're talking about these kind of things in movies and the such. He also says that like his movie, like sex in his movies is not meant to be like titillating. Like I, I, I don't think in that sense, I think, I don't think he means to make people horny, even though they are really horny movies. It was um, kind of titillating. It was a little titillating. But he said sex in like, Sex in his movies has always been about a character's most intimate moments and their secrets. You see a side of that person during sex that no one else sees. He likes to use this analogy, like like if you've had a one-night stand with somebody, they know you in a way that your mother or best friend could never. Your true character is revealed in those really intimate moments. Um, and those moments, he says, are the one he cares about. And... Which, like, is, I love the way then the sex is depicted in Doom Generation because it does feel very, like, intimate, even though it's, like, like, I remember, like, <laughs> when X licks the cum off of his hand after he was, like, watching them, like, <laughs> fuck in the bathroom, all the, like, the the people in the theater next to me were, like, ew, like, oh, <laughs> no, don't do that. But I was, like, it's so, like, well, one, you've never tasted your own cum before, like... <laughs> you don't want to like okay not even like in a sensual sense like grow <laughs> up um and like you're not the one licking it like this is this is this random guy also what's <laughs> funny about this is like that wasn't even necessarily written into the script there was someone who Iraqi was working with who was like a student who was like kind of like interning but like free labor <laughs> but yes. he was like a special effects person and he was telling the Jonathan the guy who plays X that like uh or not Jonathan I don't think oh no it is Jonathan it's the actor's name but that he got this like cum for the movie that literally is like made out of food so you can eat it and then that's where they got the idea that like oh you should definitely like the cum off your hand yeah it's so odd that he he thinks that his like sex scenes aren't 
<laughs> titillating, I guess, or that um, <laughs> uh, that that I think uh, I'm also looking at the quote that you found, like that he says, "That's why to me the proliferation of porn is great because it, <laughs> it, it it sort of distinguishes that films are not porno. If you want to watch porn, just watch porn." Um, <laughs> And like I, I felt that the scenes were incredibly sexy, like mm-hmm. more so than perhaps any movie that I've seen before. And maybe it's simply because he's trying to capture a different side of the characters than you've ever seen before, and because they're so yeah, the scenes are so like how the characters act in those scenes are so unexpected and therefore exciting. Sex should be exciting, yeah. and also I did I did love how much like enthusiasm i feel like there's pretty enthusiastic consent throughout the movie yeah uh, which is nice to see like people are not in their heads they're hella down like <laughs> uh, even though it's hella um illicit and they're probably there's somewhere in between ethical and non-ethical monogamy some mm-hmm. dubiously ethical monogamy yeah. non-monogamy um but um they still seem to they still are very much into it which is it's nice to see in a movie it is nice and it is very like you know, that is very much being a teenager. He also says, like, um, like being able to make movies about, like, kind of younger people and, and how during this time, like, this is one of the most exciting and dramatic explorations of, you know, growing up and making who you are. And with X, it was, like, he's super hot and seductive, but he's is he bad news? Like, yes. <laughs> is he boyfriend material? Like, no, not at all. Is it a mistake to sleep with this guy? Probably, but she <laughs> still will sleep with him, and I will stand by Amy all day, yeah. every day. Um, <laughs> so that's also great, too, just to, like, there's so much room. I feel like he just gives the character so much room to, you know, be who you are. <laughs> <laughs> jump scare oh my god <laughs> no yes but, to but be yes. hot to be hot together to be hot together yeah i could just i could gab about this movie all day um there's also one part of the movie that i was a little bit like hung up on or that kind of took me aback the first time while i was like watching it was the the quickie mart like the convenience store scene because besides that the entire movie is very subversive and and kind of breaking down these sexuality norms and and kind of having a very revolutionary approach to, <laughs> to polyamory and just like a teenage culture. But in the in the Quickie Mart scene, there's kind of a very interesting portrayal of Asian characters, particularly the the cashier who is named in the cast as Nguyen Kok Suk, which is just such a it's like such a early eighties like stupid joke that they would include like i'm sure 16 candles like long long dick or something i can't remember exactly what the the main character's name was or the the asian character's name was in 16 candles but kind of caricatured and feels kind Mm. of out of place in this movie and just the fact that like the wife comes in wearing like a rice hat and it's it's interesting because because greg araki is like an asian and queer filmmaker and seeing that in this movie is kind of jarring because it's like it, it doesn't feel quite it doesn't seem to fit quite as much with like what the film is trying to say. It just feels kind of like a a lowbrow kind of joke that was tossed in there by like mm. either just for played for laughs or, or something of the sort. But, you know, I mean, this was the early 90s and I've also just kind of been trying to 
to to think about more about like early identity politics and you know like different artists and their approach to their work and one of the things I found interesting in learning more about Greg Araki's early career was there was a lot of contention over like who he was including in his movies and like what exactly his political agenda was a lot of interviewers asked him why he had so many white actors in his movies for the first couple of movies and back then in, in 1992 there's this interview and he kind of goes into the fact that um he kind of talks about how he has this kind of colorblind casting approach, which is, which is problematic in itself. And the interview was quite awkward, honestly. It's for Bomb magazine. It's between Lawrence Lawrence Cha and Greg Araki. I think, I think what I've I've taken away from these early interviews is that, like, yes, he is an imperfect filmmaker, but there's also such an intense demand for him to be like the most queer or the most like Asian filmmaker. Like he has to be fully one or the other and he has to fully tackle both at the same time and it reminded me a lot of of this essay I read in my Asian American literature class this past quarter called um, 50 Years of Our Whole Voice it's from this book called IE an anthology of Asian American writers by Frank Chin Jeffrey Chan Lassen Inada and Sean Wong and let's be said this this um, book is very problematic in itself there's a lot of issues with like having a, a bit more of a male-centric um uh, patriarchal sort of view and, and cis view to to Asian American identity. But I do think they make a pretty great point in their opening essay where they say the white writer can get away with writing for himself, knowing full well he lives in a world run by people like himself. At some point, the minority writer is asked for whom he is writing and in answering that question must decide who he is, end quote. And yeah, mm. I, I totally agree. I think I think a lot of like, like, POC filmmakers and marginalized creators are just confronted with these especially like politicized and intense questioning about their work right off the bat. And Greg Araki was still very much a new filmmaker on the scene. And I think I think he has grown. And I think a lot of filmmakers do grow from where they start. But it's also important to take into account that a lot of white filmmakers, maybe even white queer filmmakers might not deal with the same questions. And we seem to have this impossibly high standard sometimes for, for, for certain creators. So hmm. I'm, I'm still grappling with it. I don't know how I feel about that scene. But at the same time, like, it, it's important to have, like, several points of view on this topic. And yeah, I don't know how you feel about it, Bella, but <laughs> those were my thoughts after, after learning more about his, like, early, his early views and his early um, reception with critics. Yeah, I mean, I guess it makes me think about Wes Anderson movies because he <laughs> is a white man, but sets so many and constantly uses white actors and sets so many of them into an environment that's like has like a very orientalistic yeah. like, perspective framework on it. And so I feel like not only is he kind of getting away with writing for himself, but then also writing him into other things like other lives he does not live um yes. so it's even more of like an extension of freedom that like minority or like marginalized writers are do not even have that space to to have no, I definitely. Know, I guess it, it's the most I can say is like it was a blind spot I remember getting really mad one time I was watching a episode of Arrest Development with um with this guy that I'd been seeing at the time and Lucille which is like 
the mother of this family who's just like awful. They're all awful people, but she <laughs> is like super awful to her Hispanic, like um, cleaning ladies and like made a joke that I was like, that's only funny. Cause like she's Hispanic. Like if she wasn't like a Hispanic cleaning lady, like this situation couldn't even occurred. So like, I can't imagine writing in something like that into my own film against like a group that I identify with somewhat. So I, I just wouldn't even, I don't even know why he would do that. But also like, this is like, I think just, I feel like discussions of, of like intersectionality and the different ways that like privilege and certain power structures intersect in our lives that has like just started being maybe more of a conversation now. Um, So it's, it's, interesting to go back and like be able to read these films with a much fuller view of like how our identities intersect and interact but yeah should we i feel like we should talk about the future and present of queer cinema now do you want to kick that off i actually have no clue what gay movies are coming out (laughs) yeah um and i guess the one i i the one that i know that's coming out i think in august it is bottoms um it's with with a couple of awesome actresses and kind of doing a queer take on Fight Club, which is really exciting. <laughs> which is fun because I feel like we heard, or at least I heard about it when, like, either we just watched Fight Club or we just did our episode on Fight Club. Yeah. I was like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> no, literally the intersect, like our impact, we, we caused it. <laughs> it was no, us literally. guys. You're yeah. welcome. No, I'm so excited for that. It's got yeah. Rachel Senna, um, straight icon, um, <laughs> a non-Jewish icon, <laughs> um, queen. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited, and I. I need to be a bit more on top of like what what new other types of queer cinema are coming out because it's been a little quiet. It's been a little quiet. Yeah. Well, I mean, writer strike. So there's just like not a lot of. Oh wait, true. Things Actually, coming out stand with writers. <laughs> stand with yeah. writers. Well, that's just like the one that I know that's coming out. I guess Wednesday. It's it's fun because we were just talking about like but I'm a cheerleader and I guess if this is part maybe this is what garbage cinema is but things that are lowbrow and fun and doesn't necessarily <laughs> need to be making big claims about you know the queer experience but yeah. it still like has a very fun and entertaining part including a very fun and entertaining part of it yeah the gay identity is a little bit traumatized but it's also camp and awesome and mm-hmm. Has so much joy and layers to it, and yeah, it'd be cool to see some non fucking depressing queer movies. Um, <laughs> yeah, as much as I love them, as much as I love that period pieces shit. get dark, <laughs> but yeah, I feel like this would be a good place to to wrap up the episode. Yeah, a little gleam of hope, and yeah, is there a final question we should? we should pose mm. to ourselves. I feel like it. Usually I have a question ready, but... Um, who, I, I just want to be in that thruple. Like, I'm thinking, like, too. what... What is, like, your ideal thruple? What is... <laughs> where oh, do yeah. you want to be a third in <laughs> someone else's answer. relationship? I have an answer, yeah. I have an answer, I have an answer. Okay, okay. <laughs> um... Wait, do I? I feel like I do. Okay. Number one, it'd be kind of cool to be a third with like, who's Lily Rose Depp dating? I don't know. She, <laughs> I don't know. They're, they're just, Wait, why? They're just really hot. It's like a, a lesbian trouble sounds fucking 
Oh, um, word. Or maybe like Phoebe Bridgers and Bo Burnham, maybe. I think I feel like he'd Take be funny back. and she'd Take be funny. I'm so. Ooh, oh, I'm being muzzled. It's 1984. <laughs> Why can't I say what I want to say? Let me speak. Let no, you speak. should not let me speak. You should not let me no, speak. I'll um, Okay, Phoebe Bridgers and and one of her past girlfriends would be fucking awesome. Word. Yeah. Uh, yep. That's it is what it is. It is what it is. How about no, you, I can't. Bella? It's not a choice. It just is what it is. Um, <laughs> I feel like I recently had like a couple that I was thinking about. I would have loved to have been I remember when like news was coming out. I don't know where this like fizzled out to, but like <laughs> When, oh, fuck. Rita Ora and, oh, Tessa Thompson. So it was Taika Waititi, Rita Ora, and Tessa Thompson. But then I would just replace Rita Ora and be there. I would be their third. Yeah. It is so (laughs) awesome. Like, why the fuck is Rita Ora there? Like, what do you... Because I think that Taika Waititi and Tessa Thompson had just got done or doing a Marvel movie together doing, like, the new Thor yeah um, whoa imagine your director asking you to be part of the thruple like oh having God. a threesome with your director that sounds a little scary but also um taika watiti is a fun guy yeah i also thought he was I'm gay saying. for so long like i i thought he was a gay man and i was really surprised to hear he wasn't um no he's just uh <laughs> he just has an accent he just has yeah he just has he's an just, accent he's just like australian <laughs> I think he's from New Zealand. Okay, no, he's from New Zealand. But I don't want to say New Zealand. Um, New Zealand. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel yeah. like... Yeah, <laughs> on that awesome note. On that awesome um, note. Thank you for listening, guys. And comment your dream threesome down below. Yes, Once please. we post about this, we'd love to hear about, hear about your fantasies and all the like. So yeah. Bye. Bye. So what are you here for?